0: You are listening to a Bible-based message from River Rock Church in Belle Plain, Minnesota. We invite you to join us Sundays at 10 a.m. at 330 South Market Street. We also encourage you to visit riverrockchurch.com for more information and resources. Now here is today's encouraging message from our guest speaker. Dr. Dean Erickson, professor of Old Testament at Crown College. As uh, Chris said, I teach up at Crown College, teach Old Testament. I uh, have the privilege of working with uh, some Very exciting young people. I see Timotheus out in the hall there. Is your mom here today? There you go. I wanted to thank you and congratulate you. What a wonderful son. So I called him Timotheus in class, that good Greek version of Timothy, and he said, oh, my mom calls me that. So there you go. Great to have Tim in class. And to get to know many of you, I have actually lots of friends, Jenny here, Mr. Phillips, the Jettos back there. I know people from uh, years past, some I haven't seen in more than a decade. More uh, when Dan and I got together and started reflecting. I'm not sure we had enough fingers and toes between us to re- remember how long ago it was. But, uh, but great to be here with you this morning. Uh, I'll only take a moment here, no real commercial, this is Sunday morning, we're here to look at God's word, but uh, if you want to know more about Crown College, I talked to Tim, he's a good representative for you, but uh, if you want to ask me any questions along the way, that's fine as well, Uh, happy to do that, exciting things happening at the college, great group of students, some innovative ways to train people for ministry. For professions where they can be the hands and feet of Christ as nurses, as teachers, business people, or in professional ministry as pastors, missionaries, etc. So God's doing great things. It's a privilege for me to be there. And I was a church planting pastor and a redevelopment church pastor. And it's exciting for me to be able to be out and to do this on Sunday mornings. The last two weeks I was down in St. Peter uh, filling in and helping out there. God arranged everything and uh, perfect timing Uh, for what was happening at the church there. When I went from the pastorate to the college, one of the exciting pieces in that shift in ministry where I was a, a pastor that taught a lot, Jenny can attest to that, now I'm a teacher who gets to pastor students. And I get to come out to churches like this. I was very excited to be able to come and to be able to minister to you today. So this morning we're going to be looking into 1 Kings chapter 17. So you want to turn to 1 Kings chapter 17. For many of you that might not be the easiest place to find there in the middle of the Old Testament. Lots of names, lots of kings. We're just going to uh, scratch the surface. But really the book of uh, 1 Kings is about the uh, relationship of kings and God. Because God is the one true source. As we begin this morning, let's again look to the Lord for his guidance and for him to speak through his word. Our Father, we are dependent upon you today. You spoke this word to those who wrote it down for us and faithfully transmitted this text to us here today that we might be able to hear you speak again and afresh and anew. I pray that you would Breathe life into these stories. May they relate to our lives and draw us closer to you. Encourage us and challenge us today. In Jesus' name, amen. There, wow, I didn't realize you were looking at that the whole time. Make sure I check my, my thing here. We're going to be looking at the one true source. In fact, this morning, this last summer, I spent a lot of my summer just preparing messages ahead of time, knowing that uh, at times pastors will call, will need someone to come. So, I'll take that opportunity. Prepared some messages here from the life of Elijah, and this morning we're going to be looking at the true source of life. I was moved this morning as uh, Lily shared the uh, prayer request that some friends that she have are in despair and wanting to take their own life, wanting to leave this life, lose their life. And uh, that is epidemic in our society, Uh, not just suicide, suicide attempts, but despair. And beyond that, people who are simply looking for other sources of life, looking at all kinds of things around them, relationships, material things, everything you can imagine to find life. And we know, you're here this morning, you braved the weather to get here this morning. I know I'm preaching to the choir today, but you know that the only true source of life comes from God. Now, like our culture, ancient Israel lost track of that as well. They lost sight of God. In fact, our culture has lost sight of this. Uh, I'm... uh, not only an Old Testament prof, my hobby is Old Testament as well. I, most of my reading is in uh, Old Testament commentaries. When I go to the bookstore up Barnes & Noble, I'm browsing either the Judaica section so I can find something in Hebrew, something interesting to look at. Or, uh, or I'm also a bargain shopper, so I go to the bargain table, see what I can find cheap. This book, I'm glad I didn't actually waste a nickel on it, but I did pick it up. When you see a title like The History of God, I thought, wow, that's interesting. I teach Old Testament history. So I picked it up. Karen Armstrong uh, wrote this. It's a little bit, uh, oh, it's pretty big on your screen. That works pretty well. But I want to read just this off the back cover of the book for you today. Uh, With this premise, let me start with the uh, little caption. There's no objective view of God. Each generation has to create the image of God that works for it, for that generation. I thought, what a hopeless way to start a book. Right? It's all subjective. We invent it all as we go, according to Karen Armstrong. Just these two brief paragraphs off the back cover. With this premise as the underlying theme, renowned commentator on religious affairs, Karen Armstrong, presents a study of the deity of the world's three dominant monotheistic religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Although humankind has worshipped God or gods for millennia, the concept of God has evolved significantly throughout the time and from culture to culture. In a dynamic interplay between religion and society's ever-changing beliefs, values, and traditions, human beings' ideas about God have been transformed. Gradually, ideas about God have been molded to apply to the spiritual needs of the people who worship Him in a particular place and time. That is a wandering mess of an idea of where God comes from and what we know about God. We understand that as we read Scripture, God reveals himself more and more through each generation and through each book of Scripture, so we learn more and more about God. But this is a picture of a God created in our image rather than we being created in God's image. God is unchanging. We grow in our understanding of God, but God is truth. God is the one true source of life. Karen Armstrong gets it wrong when she introduces her book this way. Ooh, I previewed that next slide for you. Part of our society's problem, we have a, a famous, much more famous quote, worthy quote here in a, a more important document that says, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and they're endowed with by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are, do you know what those inalienable rights are? Say it out loud. I'm a teacher. I'll get a little interaction here. Life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. Our culture has messed with this. The founders had a key truth here. Those pioneers that settled our country and that leaned on God, the one true God, laid down this document for us, gave us a Pretty solid roadmap in a lot of ways here, looking to God as the one who gives rights, not we who create our own rights, our own ideas of God. But today I'm afraid, in our confusion, we value most liberty. Freedom from all constraints, from all restraint, from any rules, from anyone telling me what to do. I'll create my own truth. If it's good for me, I'll do what I want to do. We so value liberty and we pursue happiness as the ultimate end that we think that that's the source of life. Just being free to do whatever makes me happy, now I can live a fulfilled life. And it's all backwards. It's upside down. We know Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. That is the only way to life. A forerunner of Jesus, Elijah, already foreshadowed this for us, already pictured this in his life. Now, I can't uh, preach without teaching just a little bit, so I want to get the background here to our story, and then we're going to move quickly in the story. Back in 1 Kings 16, we have the story of Ahab. Now, this is the story of Israel. In short, I could have Tim come up and give us a good survey of Old Testament history and the kings, right? Tim's back there going, yeah, he knows I won't make him do it. So he's pretty enthused, right? Uh, Israel split. After Solomon's day, they began to worship idols. The northern kingdom split off. It was called Israel and its capital was in Samaria. The southern kingdom was called Judah. Jerusalem with its capital. Davidic kings there, David's descendants. But in the north, there is a string of kings and they are all Bad. There is not one good king in the northern kingdom. For over 200 years, the northern kingdom wanders around with bad kings, worshiping idols, leading the people astray. God is patient. Almost 200 years he lets them keep searching, seeking, keeps illustrating, sending prophets, but they will not turn. The worst of those bad kings is Ahab. Chapter 16 of 1 Kings tells us, Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. If you want to see how astounding a statement that is, read the previous five chapters and you'll find just how dramatic that statement is. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Avat, he made two golden calves. You know, one wasn't a bad enough blunder in Moses' day, now there's two. They're worshiping idols. He not only made that look like it was trivial, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians. Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians. Baal, right in his name. In fact, it goes on to tell us, he began to worship and serve Baal. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal. Now we have a temple that rivals the temple in Jerusalem where the one true God, the source of life, is worshipped. Now they're worshiping other gods and other temples in this country. You can see how far Israel has lost its way. Ahab also ate an Asherah pole and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. Things have gone horribly wrong. Now, in order to understand this, you have to understand what Baal worship was. We've dismissed the kids to junior church, but I'll still uh, be careful in the way I talk about this. But Baal worship and Asherah worship in the ancient world, those were fertility cults. And in fact, they thought Baal was the one, the storm god. He sent the rain on the land, which produced the crops. So they would have this annual cycle of the crops going dormant, like they are now here in Minnesota. And in the spring, they'd come back to life. Baal would bring them back to life through sending the spring rains. And they worshiped Baal. And in order to produce fertility, their worship was called sympathetic magic, we would call it. Where they would go to the temples, Baal, Asherah, shrine, wherever, and put it delicately, they would spend time with the temple prostitutes there. Male shrine prostitutes, female shrine prostitutes and showing the god, Baal, what they want him to do to the land. They want the land to be fertile. So that was worship, drunken orgies in these temples. That's in Israel, a country that was founded by God. Some parallels to our own country, right? In God we trust, and yet we look at our society and it has gone horribly wrong. If you look at that ancient pagan practice and think, wow, was that messed up, all you have to do is scan the channels on your TV in the evening and look at the titles of TV shows and realize just how far off base we are. Read the or watch the ads for the movies that are coming out. We live in a a, a sex and pleasure saturated society, a society riddled with violence and despair. We are in the exact same place Israel was at in 1 Kings. And God sent his word through the prophet Elijah. In fact, in chapter 1, Elijah uh, chapter 17, I'm sorry, verse 1, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe, in case you wondered where Tishbites came from, right? It's not that complicated, just read the text. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab As Yahweh, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain for the next few years except at my word. Now, why would God shut off the rain? Baal, very good, Dan, thanks. Baal is the storm god, Baal is the one they're trusting for rain. And it's essentially Elijah smacks Baal in the face here and Ahab in the face and says, if you want to trust Baal for rain, you can have all the rain Baal has to offer. None. Not until Yahweh says rain comes. Yahweh, the God of Israel, the God they know by name. We have it in our modern translations as Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That represents the Hebrew letters, Y-H-W-H, Yahweh. Uh, Jewish tradition made that unpronounceable. After a while, you didn't want to take the Lord's name in vain, so you wouldn't say Yahweh as an ancient Jewish person. But God gave his name. Gave it to Moses and tell the Israelites, Yahweh is the one true God. I'll keep using that abbreviation here on my slides. But Elijah's very name, when he comes and stands before King Ahab... His very name is an insult to Ahab because El means God, Eli, my God. Yah is short for Yahweh. Elijah is my God is Yahweh. And until Yahweh says, rain and life will come to the land, you don't have any. So he brings this uh, message here to the king. Let me continue. And at this point, I'm going to read the story, big chunks of the story, the story itself should teach us the truth here that there's one true source of power. And I'm going to grab my water. I kept it handy here. Dry this morning a little bit. Chapter 17 and verse 2. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kirith ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook I've directed and the ravens will supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord told him. He went to the Kirith Ravine, east of the Jordan and stayed there and the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening and he drank from the brook. Here we have Elijah fully cared for, life sustenance brought to him every day as he's out in the wilderness. He's out, Living by a stream, he's drinking from the stream. Birds of the air bring him food every day. God is the true source of life. While Israelites are trusting Baal and Asherah to provide life for them, and they're starving to death, in spite of knowing Yahweh will bring them and provide for them, if they simply will turn away from Baal, worship, and turn to Yahweh, they refuse to. But Elijah is doing fine. God is the true source of life. And he's the only source of life. When we seek life elsewhere, we lose our life. When we give up our life and turn it over to Yahweh, he provides life for us. One true source of life. As we continue in verse 7, I'm going to read a bigger chunk of the story here. Sometime later, the brook dried up. And because there had been no rain in the land, then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I've directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath, and when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. And she called her, he called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water and a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called her and said, "And please bring me a piece of bread. Waitress, you know, waitress, bring me something to eat and drink here. As surely as Yahweh your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid, go home and do as you've said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. And this is what Yahweh, the God of Israel, says, the jar of oil or flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day Yahweh sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry. In keeping with the word of the Lord, spoken by Elijah. God provided the bread of life for her. Provided His word as surely as Yahweh, the God of Israel lives, you will live if you trust Him. Now, this story has a lot of irony in it. If you don't enjoy these Old Testament stories, you're not understanding them. You have to smile, you have to think as you're reading them and get what the author is trying to communicate here as God revealed His word. It's interesting where God hides Elijah. We're going to learn in the next chapter, not this morning, I will stop on time, but uh, in the next chapter that Ahab and Jezebel are hunting for Elijah. They want to kill Elijah because he's shut off the rain. Interesting, Baal can't override this. Elijah, my God is Yahweh, controls this rain. So they're trying to kill Elijah. That's why he leaves the land across the Jordan and hides for a while. Now God sends him somewhere. The irony of the place. Did you catch where he hides? Where does God tell him to hide? This is the interactive again. Quiz questions. right? I gave Tim points for this in college. Zarephath. Great, and where is Zarephath? For us, that's like a word that's hard to pronounce. I don't know where that is. It tells us Zarephath in the region of Sidon. Now, does that name ring a bell? Maybe in your modern geography, but... Who else is from Sidon? Jezebel. Very good. You get two points for that. Extra credit. In the chapter I read just before, the little bit of an introduction here, Jezebel is the daughter of Ethbaal, the king of Sidon. So it's as if Yahweh tells Elijah, let's go hide in Jezebel's hometown. She'll never think to look for you there. Right under the nose of the king. Here in, uh, inside, and go hide there. And in fact, there's some more irony. Who is it that's going to provide food for him from her storehouses? A, a widow. Right? A widow in an ancient society is destitute. She is out gathering sticks to make literally her last meal before she starves to death. And this is who God's going to use to provide food for his prophet. Interesting, Elijah seems a little bit uh, callous, right? First, this poor widow's out gathering sticks and it's as if he's at the the restaurant. Waitress, bring me a glass of water, please. And she dutifully goes off to do that. Oh, and bring me some food when you come back. I'm kind of hungry here. So it seems a little demanding. And in fact, the widow says, hey, I'm starving to death. I don't have enough. Did you catch it? Elijah said, "Uh, bring me mine first, right? That's fine. Go do what you said, but bring me mine first. Is that a little arrogant? Is that a little self-serving? I mean, if you don't wince a little bit when you read that and think, wow, that seems callous to me, you're probably not getting the, the irony in the story. Bring me that mind first. And if you do, if you put, my God is Yahweh first. If you put the prophet who is a prophet of Yahweh, she knows where he's from. As surely as Yahweh your God lives, she said to him, I don't have enough. And he tells her, if you put Yahweh first, put His Word first, put His prophet first in your life, prioritize Yahweh ahead of everything else, you will have life. You'll have all the provision, all the protection that you need. That's where our society misses the boat. We pursue happiness, we pursue liberty, throw off all restraint, trying to find some happiness when God has already provided it for us in His Word. He's already provided it for us on the cross through the resurrection. He is the life. We have to put God first in our life. In fact, read the verse this morning, right? Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Don't search after all these things. Seek God first. Allow Him to provide life for you. But the story takes a tragic twist. As we turn to the next verses, Have a little bit of the winter stuff going on, so I took some decongestant, and boy, that dries you right out. So keep taking sips of water here. Starting in verse 17. Sometime later, the plot shifts here. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, What have you against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Fascinating. Her first thought is, blame God. Right? Does that sound familiar in our society? Ignore God. Ban God from public life. Ban Him from public school. Praise God we get to meet in a school here today in this country. But we tend to exclude God from everything And then when something goes wrong, we turn and blame God for it, right? Here she is. Did God come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. And he took him from her arms and carried him to an upper room where he was staying and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord my God, have you brought uh, tragedy even on this widow I'm staying with by causing your son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Yahweh my God, let this boy's life return to him. Elijah has life. He knows God's providing life for him every day. The stretching out on the boy is as if to say, let him have some of the life you're giving me. You're the source of life, God. Yahweh my God. Do you catch the wordplay? His name means my God is Yahweh. He just turns that around in his prayer and says, Yahweh, my God, you're the source of life. Bring life back to this boy. Verse 22, the Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him. And he lived. In case you missed that, his life returned to him. Now he's alive. Right? He lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room to the house and gave him to his mother and said, Look, your son is alive. God provides life. It's interesting, this widow knows what the people around you in this society, in this culture, in this community, in your workplace, those who don't know God are pursuing uh, liberty, pursuing happiness, but missing life because they're missing God. They know there's a problem. They know something's wrong. It's down deep. They may not admit it, but when crisis comes and they turn to blame God, Elijah takes that opportunity. Notice she knows she's sinful. I've seldom had to convince anyone there's a problem in their life or that they're not perfect. Most people know that, especially when life falls apart. Tend to blame here, and she blames God, but ultimately, have you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? For the wages of sin is death. This is a reality that we all know inherent. We're human we know that we have messed up. That's why all these ancient cultic practices are offering sacrifices and doing. They know there's something wrong between them and the deity, something wrong between them and God. She knows when tragedy strikes, might be her fault, right? I've sinned, sin brings death. She doesn't know the other half of the equation. Right? But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's only one source of life. Everything else brings death. If you want to gain the whole world, you lose life. You lose your soul. Turn your soul over to God and receive life from Him. The story doesn't end there. That would be a nice happy ending, right? The son's restored to life. Yahweh brings life. There we are. One more verse. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of Yahweh from your mouth is the truth. At the beginning of the story, as surely as Yahweh, your God, lives, I don't worship Yahweh, that's your God, I know you're from Israel, I know you worship Yahweh over there, I worship other gods, as surely as your God lives, I don't have any food, now she says, now I know that you're a man of God. There's one true God who brings life and that the word of Yahweh from his mouth is the truth. This is a conversion story. This widow at Zarephath gets saved. right? That's New Testament terminology. God hasn't changed. Death has always resulted from sin. And God has always been the source of life. And we see it right in this story as a pagan woman, idol worshiper, when life is threatened, realizes there's only one source of life. Our society has followed that desperate path. We've heard it in prayer request and testimony this morning, people who have sought life through this world and receive only despair and death. I can give you story after story, even as I work with college students, of the ways in which they try to find life in other ways, other than from God. My whole purpose is to bring this word to you today, to bring it to them each day to say there's one true source. The world has deceived you. It's led you astray. One true source of life, and it's God. The widowed Zarephath really understands by the end of the story what we used to call the Roman's road. You might know as a pastor this old, the Roman's road. The wages of, well, start with all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Right? We've all sinned. We know it. We know there's problems. The wages of sin is death. We know that as well. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And God showed us His love in that while we were still sinners, had nothing to offer, God offered His Son for our sake. God commended His love toward us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us to bring us that true life. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord be it a widow at Zarephath or a person here in Belle Plaine. Wherever you are, if you call on the name of the Lord, he brings life and he'll bring life to you today. Let's bow together in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are thankful today that you provide life, that you are the source because we seek after life in all sorts of places. We see people around us crashing their lives daily because they seek life and happiness and pursuing their own pleasures rather than seeking you. May we understand and reaffirm today the foundation for our entire life, a relationship with you. And you may you bless each one here as they turn to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Before the worship team uh, begins this next song, let me just read Moses' final words to his people. I hope they're not my final words to you. I'd love to talk to you after the service. But Moses' final words to Israel before they cross the Jordan into the Promised Land, he says to them, This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death. It's your decision. Life is there for you. Death is there for you. Now, choose life so that you and your children may live, that you may love the Lord your God, listen to His voice, hold fast to Him, for the Lord is your life.